Welcome to Maker Mom, a podcast where I explore the stories of Maker Moms and the life they lead. Each week, I will bring you the behind the scenes story of a new Maker Mom. I'm Katie Freeman, a furniture designer and content creator running FreemanFurnishings.com and your host of the Maker Mom podcast. You can find Maker Moms hanging out in the Facebook community at Maker Moms and on the web at MakerMomPodcast.com. If you love what you hear, please subscribe, leave a stellar review, and share this out with other Maker Moms you know. Maker Mom Podcast. This week's guest is Katie of Women of Woodworking. Katie is an established uh fine woodworker herself, but she is most passionate about uh, engaging in and getting more representation in the craft of woodworking. So we had a fantastic conversation that I really enjoyed, and I think you all will really enjoy this interview as well. But before we get into the interview, I want to give a big shout out and thank you to the patrons over on Patreon. So thank you so much, Laura of the Oakley Soap Company, Mary Lou, Made by Mary Lou, Amy, Bison Valley Carving, Dan and Kelly, Reclaim Living Store, Brandy, Studio Obey, Kathy, One Girl and Her Tools, Ellen, Little Bear Furniture, and Ethan, Ethan Carter Designs. Thank you all so very, very much for your continued support of the podcast. All right, let's go ahead and jump right in to the interview with Katie of Women of Woodworking. Well, Katie, I always start with uh, having my guests give a brief introduction about themselves. So I'm going to let you do that. Sure. I'm Katie Thompson. I am an artist slash writer, advocate, and mom and wife. Awesome. Now, I need to be able to give a nice, concise elevator speech introduction like that. I haven't figured that out yet. Um, (laughs) You know I do PR. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, before we start breaking down kind of all of those pieces, let's talk about your childhood a little bit. Where'd you grow up? You know, what kind of things were you interested in as a kid? Yes, I grew up my parents both worked in healthcare and my father worked in healthcare administration for a national company. So we actually moved around quite frequently when I was a child, but I spent most of my childhood in Texas and that really shaped, I think who I am. Uh, it, it never leaves you. So, um, and growing up, I was always very active. I loved to be outdoors. I remember in elementary school, learning, uh, like going to art class and learning about art and in particular, um, abstract art. I remember doing that very vividly and thinking, God, this is so fun. Like people get to do this for a living. Like, and I, I feel like at a young age, I kind of heard that call for creativity, um, early on. That being said, I really, um, focused on sports and, and that sort of stuff until I got to, to high school, the end of high school. Um, but it was always there. I uh, Writing was mostly what I did, especially during school, because I had to for school. But um, I also love to write poetry and short stories. So that was kind of my creative outlet growing up was writing. Okay. Uh, what kind of sports were you into? 
Ooh, everything. I, <laughs> I really, <laughs> I mean, my parents were like, if there's a sport you're playing, um, I was the oldest of four. So we, we all kept pretty busy. I really loved softball. I had a big passion for that. I played soccer for a number of years. And then in, in high school, I also played basketball and, and I played volleyball. Um, so those, those were the main ones. And I also did a little bit of like track and field. I did some high jumping and, and things like that. So um, I'm trying to think if there were any other sports that I kind of left out. Dancing was, I don't know if you classify that as like a con, obviously not like a contact sport type of thing, but I was also really big into dance up until mm -hmm. my teenage years. Okay. Um, you mentioned oldest of four. So uh, brothers, sisters, mix of both? Uh, two younger sisters and one younger brother. Okay. Uh, did they pick up the uh, artistic gene as well? My one sister, Kelsey, she is very creative and she's actually going back to school to, uh, I think, to do some elementary education because she, she loves working with children. Um, she's pretty creative. The other two, uh, not so much. They're definitely more of like the science mind. Um, my one sister is getting her doctorate in occupational therapy and, and does compliance for a pharmacy school, pharmacy college. So um, very different, but we were all very active. That was mm -hmm. one thing, um, whether it was dance or baseball or karate, we were all mm -hmm. very active. So we all had that in common. All right. Now, what about uh, post high school years? What'd you do after high school? Well, those were some pretty crazy years for me, actually. Um, when I graduated high school, I went to Presbyterian College for the first two years. And while I was at PC, I actually had kind of like a freak um, health incident and um, herniated a disc, which I had compressed 60% of my spinal cord. So injuring that. And then um, after the surgery, I contracted bacterial meningitis. So that really threw things off for me, like kind of like right off the bat, that was my freshman year. So um, I spent my first two years close to home at PC and kind of recovering, being near family. And then I went to College of Charleston. I transferred one summer. I was like, I got to get out. I'm going to go to Charleston. And I just never left. Um, I found that Charleston just spoke to me. It spoke to me on a lot of different levels and was, it was time for me to kind of get out and get my independence mm -hmm. and being there near the beach, all this natural beauty, lots of inspiration, having lots of access to art galleries. Um, I think moving to Charleston was the best decision I ever made because it helped me find that path to where I am today, obviously, but also to my creative voice. Mm -hmm. I really struggled finding that in college and um, those years were really crucial to me figuring out what I liked and what I didn't like and what I really wanted to do with my life. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Uh, what did you, what did you go to college for? What was your degree in? So I ended up majoring in communications, kind of focusing on communication theory. I'm really interested in how we interact with each other, obviously how we communicate, what symbols we use to communicate. Um, also that tied in kind of the writing and then also other creative aspects of it. Um, and with communication theory, I was able to kind of dabble in 
you know, media criticism and then also the more like traditional, traditional academic route and then also corporate communication. So I felt like I, I got a good feel for everything. Um, I also minored in um, history. I have a passion for American history, but um, looking back, you know, at the time I was like, man, I wish I would have majored in something in, in art or, um, you know, some like studio, like a mm-hmm. studio practice. But now I'm really glad that I, I did major in communications and developed those skills and got that experience. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was, it was good, a good choice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would, I feel like, I mean, knowing that like now seeing what you're doing with like the, the Wednesday lives and stuff like that, I'm sure that background probably helps you with all of that. Um, okay. Well, what about post-college? I mean, so far I'm not hearing how you got into the like, you know, art and woodworking side. So what happened yes. after college? So that's where, that's where we're at now. So um, while I was at College of Charleston, I got an internship with the Office of Cultural Affairs for the city of Charleston. And that was my first, like, all right, this is what I'm going to do for, for a career. And um, I interned with them for the Piccolo Splato Festival that they have down here every year. And I also became a finance assistant and was an assistant for the Charleston Farmer's Market. It's a pretty big farmer's market they have in Marion Square every Saturday. And I got really into the administrative side of things, got into grant writing, um, event management. I learned so much, but there was always that creative voice that was like, hi, hello, <laughs> like I'm here too, you know, mm-hmm. like I, I loved giving and, you know, working to provide opportunities for other creative people, but I knew I had my own voice too. So about that time I started interning at Redux Contemporary Art Center in Charleston and that was a great experience because it was like, finally, I was able to kind of be in my element in the contemporary art world and really just play around. They gave me so much space to explore and learn and use all of my different skills um, and just kind of see what's out there, see what other artists are doing. And um, about that time was when I met my husband, Joseph. So he became a vendor at that farmer's market that I, w- I was helping manage um, and, he, you know, a woodworker, furniture maker. And growing up, my dad was always kind of a hobbyist. So I had always wanted him to like build things for me. And um, we grew up eating at a a table that he built in high school. So I had an appreciation for woodworking. Mm -hmm. And um, so when I met Joseph at the farmer's market, we kind of were friends for a while and, and eventually just started working together. And I think that was his ruse to, to get me in and to get, get me on a date. So, um, that, that was how I initially got into woodworking. And, um, we took a, we took a trip to Chicago together, like very early on in our relationship. And we like went out to dinner one night and he was like, you know, if you ever want to design anything, you know, that you want, you know, I can build for you, we can build together. And I was like, Oh, and just like whipped out my sketchbook right there. And, <laughs> at dinner and we seriously haven't looked back. And so, um, that, that was how I got into woodworking. I think I knew early on that I had a love for woodworking, but it wasn't going to be my only medium as well. Mm -hmm. But I learned so much from those first few years of working under him and, um, 
late nights, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, lots of work and just seeing, I got, I really got thrown into the physical aspect of making. That was something that I hadn't had experience doing. And um, also kind of showed me that I, again, had interest in other areas and how I could tie those two together as well. So. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, in your very nice, concise intro, <laughs> some of the things you listed were, were woodworker, artist, and writer, right? So, mm -hmm. um, right. I mean, I guess speak to me a little bit about like, what does your current, and I know current is a little bit wacky right now because of COVID, but what does your current look like? Like, what are you doing as somebody who's working from home? Are you doing woodworking? Are you doing, using other mediums, writing? What are you doing? Right. Right. Well, um, one of the other things I guess I should have included in the intro, I also do a lot of advocacy work. So that is something that I've, I've been focusing on a lot since there's been a pretty dire need with all the unrest going on mm -hmm. right now. Um, right now, we kind of, when we first went into isolation, you know, we had been out teaching and, and um, just kind of out of the shop a lot. And our day-to-day -day now, you know, we're in the shop all day, every day, which is good because if you're not in the shop, then how are you? kind of making things mm -hmm. um we kind of had a schedule there for a little while like I'd get up and have the kids in the morning and then Joseph would be down in the shop all afternoon and then we actually started doing live streams um on his Instagram um at JWT Woodworks and we were, were doing them pretty frequently there for a while but we figured out very quickly after about two or three months that they're a lot of work and um so we kind of have backed up off of those with him a little bit because they were very like into instructional and like what he was doing day to day. And he was getting to the point where he's like, I don't want to feel like I'm making stuff up, you know, for the live. I want people right. to feel like they're naturally following me along with the project. So we've kind of put those on hold. Um, and also because he wanted to spend more time with the kids as well. I mean, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity to, mm -hmm. you know, be with your kids all day, every day. So taking advantage of that was important. Um, but for me, I, my work time has been like almost completely eliminated. I either have to kind of sneak down here an hour here or there, or come down late at night. Um, having the kids home full time is just really hard. And, um, you know, before when they could go to daycare, you know, there, I had eight hours that I could do what I need to do and then also having some health issues it's a full-time job for me to take care of my health sometimes as well so I'll also lose shop time work time to doctor's appointments and things like mm -hmm. that um it's been pretty chaotic I've had a hard time getting into a routine so it has been nice to have things like my women of woodworking project to have kind of weekly lives to be like, okay, it's Wednesday. I need to shower. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> <you know? laughs> having that schedule. Yeah. It's not just, it's not just kids who do well with the schedule. Right. Um, I, I definitely feel you there. I think that was um, the hardest part about the kiddos being home for, you know, three months and like basically my, my job, job, uh, my uh, quality, uh, assurance consulting work 
stopped. You know, everybody's like, nope, we're not spending any money. Um, and then I really didn't have a ton of woodworking work. I injured my finger at the start of it all. So I had to wait for that to heal and, and all of that. And so it just became like, you know, there's no reason to get up at a certain time in the morning. There's no reason to like, basically is like, it was all revolved around what the kids' schedule was. And there was not a really super structured schedule there. So I think it was not just my kids who were, you know, kind of in a, in a down funk, but I definitely was in a down funk because it was like, <laughs> where's that schedule at? <laughs> Absolutely. You get used to that routine. And I noticed right off the bat with my kids that they, they were normally very well behaved, listened very well. It was just like all that went out the window. And I was like, I've never been acting like this at school because I feel like I would know. <laughs> But at the same time, I really felt for him because my daughter had just moved up into a new classroom and she was loving school and just loving it mm -hmm. and um, not having that routine. You know, they stopped taking a nap. They're like, we're yeah. not taking naps anymore. And yep. that was another <laughs> reason why we had to stop doing the lives. Um we would, you know, during their kind of quiet time, nap time, that's when we would do them. And they would just, they were like, no, we refuse. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. I also feel, All right. I feel that pain as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Well, so did women of woodworking start then just during, I mean, just during this time or have you been running this account <coughs> and, and doing work through it for a while? So it's been on and off actually for a couple of years. I started it in 2015. I was freelance then and was like, I, I need a project, something that, you know, I can keep writing and kind of build on something. And um, also wanted to write about things that I was really interested in having done different types of journalism and writing about so many different things. I, I knew I wanted to stick to a topic that i could really get behind and that was you know empowering other women empowering other artists and sharing important stories so i started doing that and then i actually um that same year published my uh children's woodworking book um little beaver builds a bed and took on a another like full-time pr job i actually went out of the shop full-time so it kind of went on hiatus there for a few years 2018 I went back to working for myself and I've kind of picked it up from there um it's completely volunteer um I've since moved it to medium so there it is a medium publication so I do get you know kind of pennies for for views and reads and stuff but um since it since it isn't something I've monetized yet mm -hmm. uh, it's been kind of when I can fit it in I do or if I get the opportunity or you know I come across a good story which has been um, nice because I feel like my heart's really in it. And I feel mm -hmm. like the readers see that, like I'm not doing it just to satisfy an advertiser or, you know, a, a brand partner. Like I'm writing about artists and makers that I'm like, Hey, you know, they've, they've got something to share, something to say. And also not narrowing down the, the group of makers that I'm, I'm, 
focusing on like not just furniture makers mm-hmm. um, and not just women. Um, you know, I would love to feature more non-binary and transgender makers. Mm-hmm. Um, I have makers from all around the world that participate. Um, it's really allowed me to to expand. I feel like the representation and there's still so much work that needs to be done. This is just kind of my way of of doing it in the woodworking world. Um, when I started it, I didn't feel like there was a ton of representation out there for women in the last five years. That has completely changed and said there's still a lot of to do, but um, I'm really encouraged by mm-hmm. the growth that's happened in the community since I started it back in 2015. It's just a little passion project. I think, I mean, I think maybe some of what you're seeing too is just social media is allowing us to see, you know, more of those uh, uh, marginalized communities participating in the craft. Um, I think, I think this is really awesome what you're doing. I feel like there are several of us and I'm going to include myself in that camp because that spoke very much to what I'm, you know, kind of have a mission uh, driven to do as well. Um, but I, I think there's several of us floating around in this space and, you know, I've talked with a few, I know you had on your, your live, you had Dej on your uh, live and I, uh, last week I had uh, released a podcast episode with her as well, uh, which she's, you know, she's a, I would call her a firecracker. She's a very <laughs> passionate young woman about a lot of things. And I love that, you know, um, and in talking with her, I brought up, you know, I had on the podcast, um, I don't know if you're familiar with um, Laura Mays. She's in on the West mm-hmm. Coast um, and she did the uh, making a seat at the table with, and I can, uh, Deidre, the two of them together, uh, did that show on the East Coast, um, and I've had them on the podcast, so I feel like there's a lot of, I don't want to say overlap, and there's definitely, like, so much room to bring so many more, so much more of this, you know, up front, but I definitely feel like at some point in all of our future, we are all going to work on a project together and do something big, because we all have that same passion to bring this forward. Um, and like you too, I would really love to get some non-binary and uh, trans women into onto the podcast as well. That's one of the reasons I added the new segment that's happening on Wednesdays where it's not uh, just moms, but, you know, just trying to open it up to more people. Um, how'd you get into the advocacy part of it? Like what speaks to you about, and is it specifically towards, you know, the the craft of making, or is there like more that you're trying to uh, include? Sure. So <laughs> the the advocacy really started, I think, working for the Office of Cultural Affairs and working for nonprofit arts organizations. I saw how important art and creativity was to me, and and seeing some of the educational programs and community programs that I worked with, I just saw how important it was to reach out and help your community at a young age. Um, I also grew up 
in healthcare, you know, my mom was an ER nurse, my dad works in admin. It's healthcare is kind of a, a, an addiction, I think, is if you're a, a person that it wants to be of service and, and wants to help others and help heal others. So I think I just kind of had that bleeding heart natural mm-hmm. tendency. Um, so I, I really just think my work, I've naturally gravitated there, um, especially in some of my PR work. I've worked with clients. Um, produce farms. So through that, I got really into food access and and having conversations about that. Um, We do live in rural South Carolina. Um, I worked myself in healthcare PR and admin and just being out there sharing patient stories and and things like that made me really passionate about giving back to the community and, and helping to serve the community by amplifying those voices that need to be heard. Um, it just feels like the right thing. And I, you know, just through my creative work being hired to, I, I'll make videos and do, you know, photo shoots and stuff for different nonprofits. I help them develop, you know, political campaigns for different bills they're taking to the state house and stuff like that. Um, I just see so much change trying to happen at all these different levels. I feel like I, have a responsibility to do what I can when I mm-hmm. can. Um, and I want to, uh, you know, deep down, I, I, nothing makes me happier than to know that I'm helping somebody else. Um, sometimes I just stumble into it. Um, <laughs> recently I, we've had the black lives matter protests, um, George Floyd protests occurring really around the world. And here in Charleston, there was, you know, quite a a bad particular Saturday that happened. And, um, you know, me and some friends were talking and they were like, you know, knowing that I did advocacy work and knowing that I worked with nonprofits and, and that sort of stuff for kind of, we were looking for a bail fund and we didn't find one that was local. So they were like, wait, you know, start one. So I did thinking that, you know, I'd hand it off to, you know, the local black lives matter chapter or another organization. Mm -hmm. Um, and talked with an organizer like immediately the next day. And, you know, they're like, actually it would really help us if you stayed on and did this and, and kind of worked from behind the scenes. And so I, it was, it just was an amazing experience. And then within a few days um, through news and Twitter and social media, these protesters, their stories just went out and, and these images and, and what they've gone through. And we, raised a hundred, I think we're at $110,000 right now um, for them to establish a new um, Black Lives Matter chapter, independent chapter in Charleston. So I I feel like sometimes it just finds me, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, but it's also, it's just part of my nature. Like I just, I like being able to help people, Mm -hmm. anything I can do to, to help someone like feel better about themselves or, um, and also, again, just living in rural South Carolina, I can't walk out of my front door and deny the disparities that are right in front of my face. So right. um, as much as but, my neighbors might want to argue with me. <laughs> I was going to say, but you're doing something important and you're not denying it publicly. Right. <laughs> you know, um, which right. I think is super important right now. Um, uh, it's It's important for 
for people who look like us <laughs> to no longer be quiet um, about it. You know, not to say that you ever were, I ever was, but to really not be quiet about it any longer. So um, I think that's great. Um, it, it's been, uh, it, I honestly <laughs> feel like it's taught me more than, you know, I gave mm -hmm. them. So I, I agree. Yep. Um, to not to totally like totally pivot to another point, but I did want to talk a little bit about like when, when you, uh, worked with your husband and he kind of, you know, taught you the skills of woodworking. I mean, was that the first time you used power tools? Hello makers. Today's podcast is sponsored by Bad Workwear North America. They are an Australian workwear brand that launched in the U.S. and Canada last fall. I haven't tried the gear yet myself, but have heard great things about their gear from our friends in the maker community, especially women who are excited to find workwear that looks great and fits right. They carry a women's line of items, but based on the slim fit nature of their clothing, all of their line is considered unisex as women have great success sizing down in the men's items and getting a great fit as well. If you want to check them out, visit www.badnorthamerica.com and use the code MAKERMOM10 at checkout for 10% off your order. All right, let's get back to the episode. Probably. Um... Yeah, probably. Uh, just growing up, I, I can't remember an instance that I had used them previously. So yeah, I mean, he had to teach me how to use a shop. And um, I remember like my first kickback on the table saw, it was like, oh, I'm never going to go there again. He's like, <laughs> calm down, calm right. down. Um, it's almost kind of like you need to, to witness one in order to... Mm -hmm respect the power of the table yes. saw and see how dangerous <laughs> it can be so um so yeah so he he had to go through and and, and teach me everything so mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what do you remember that experience felt like learning how to use all of that new equipment for me personally i was extremely intimidated at first and well, I think it's good to have like, a, again, a healthy, like fear and respect mm -hmm. being too timid. I feel like can also set you up for accidents and, yeah. and danger too. So I, I learned that, um, there does need to be a healthy balance of fear and confidence. Mm -hmm. Um, also just kind of like being blown away by, uh, the amount of work that, you know, you think, oh, I'm just a woodworker. No, you have to be able to take care of these mach machines and, you know, maintain them knowing how they work, the different parts. Um, and I feel like there's this whole subculture in woodworking of, of tool lovers. I mean, you could make, and people do make careers off of making, selling, trading tools. And yeah. um, I, I really, really love that. And um, it also, one thing about Joseph's work is he's very passionate about hand work. So seeing that, combined like you know with the machine work that he does and hearing why he likes to do these certain techniques or why he likes to finish things this particular way um it it really taught me 
to be dedicated to quality because he doesn't cut any corners mm -hmm. and you think, Oh, it'd be fine. You know, I'll just do this or cut it on this or whatever. But he, I mean, and it, to me, it kind of shows in his work. I know I'm biased, but, <laughs> um, well, it, it kind of like, you have to learn how things are done properly before you can do it your way. And he did a great job of doing that with me. And he's also, he also teaches, um, at the Charleston Woodworking School and he's just a fabulous teacher. So I feel like super lucky. I got to kind of learn under him for a few years there. Mm -hmm. so. Mm -hmm. so what in there, um, what in there you talked about, you know, it, it intimidated you. So what made you go push through that to get confidence, to keep doing it versus you know, when that thing happened on the table, so you go, nope, you're just going to make everything for me from the, from here on out. Like, you know, you could have had that, you could have made that right. decision and gone that direction. So what made right. you keep going? Um, well, actually, after the, the table saw incident, I, he did, we kind of, I hopped right back on there and made another cut just so it's like, all right, we didn't, that wasn't my last like thing. Right. It was like, all right, you can, you can still do this. And then I went inside and took a deep breath. <laughs> but um, I think just wanting to be independent, wanting to be able to make stuff on your own. And I think that's a big thing about being a maker is like using your own two hands. Mm -hmm. um, and also, I think at the time I knew that my health was kind of variable and I knew eventually a time would come where I wouldn't have the ability to do that as, as I did in my early twenties with him. So, um, just being really determined and also seeing, you know, what using a tool properly can do, how much easier it can make your job, how, you know, um, instead of making work for yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, and just, again, just having a healthy respect for your tools and materials. Mm-hmm. Now, this is a silly question. Have you found that knowing how to make furniture has ruined you for buying furniture ever again? In the oh, sense yeah. of like, I look at a piece of wooden furniture and I just dissect it and I'm like, that's crap. You know, <laughs> I have to like walk away. Um, so I guess in that <sighs> sense, do you feel like you're like ruined from ever being able to like really enjoy purchasing another piece of furniture? <laughs> Yeah, I always feel guilty and feel bad because just out of habit, I run my hand underneath the tables now. Mm -hmm. Like if I see a, a wooden table um, and I'm going to judge you for it. I'm going to yeah. judge you for how the bottom <laughs> of that table feels. Um, again, like we just have like such a, a attachment to the process and doing things right and doing things the best way we can. I, I, think a lot of makers and craftsmen that go that extra mile and make the top make the bottom just as nice as the top you know mm -hmm. why why cut corners so yeah I do think it's ruined me it's also been hard when I've seen items that are not built the right way mm -hmm. and like you're you're out in public and like their clients right there or the owners right there and they're all proud of it and you're like mm, that's that's gonna bend on itself and right. kind of like all right where do I do I just let my mouth shut? Do I say something? And, um, so, and, and I, you know, I try to be as nice and respectful as I can, but I, I do, I can, 
cut pretty deep <laughs> with my criticism. So I was just like, you know, if they're not asking for it, I don't give it. I know. Yeah. I think that's probably a wise choice. Um, I find myself in that same, uh, that same area. I have a hard time walking around farmers markets or art fairs um, because of that. <laughs> I, I either go to intentionally go to the woodworking booths just to plain like, to not necessarily touch anything or whatever, but to maybe get ideas. You know, I look at like the forms or the shapes of stuff just to like get my creative, you know, juices flowing type thing. Um, but I try not to touch anymore or to really like look at a piece because I end up like, yeah. And, um, and, and if I do find that, you know, I, maybe you found this too, uh, Generally, at those things, at least in Iowa, it's a man who's selling the his wares, and having a female woodworker um, question <laughs> how something was put together doesn't always go over the best. So <laughs> I right. learned to just, you know, yeah, like you said, not say anything. You know, take what yeah. my mom said to heart. If you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was, uh, um, living in South Carolina is very conservative down here, and um, I do, like, when I go to those events, I am happy to see what, uh, like you said, other ideas, and mm -hmm. and I do, I, I don't immediately jump to criticize people. I'm actually really happy to see as many people out there doing woodworking mm -hmm. and getting into the craft again, so for me, I'm actually... I'd like to see what they're doing because I feel like we should celebrate that no right. matter what people's yeah. skill levels or interests are. Um, that being said, I've been on the other side, like showing furniture and especially when it was like just Joseph and I, and we were just doing furniture and I was still just kind of learning. Mm -hmm. I was dismissed left and right. Like yeah. people would come into the booth, not even talk to me, not even acknowledge me. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, do you help your husband? Do you right. cook for him? Do you make sure he eats? And I'm like, my name's on the sign too. Right. You know, like my name's. <laughs> on yep. some of these pieces too and so that was that was a hard thing to overcome for a while and then I didn't want to cause tension between him and I and be like I need to get credit for this da -da 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 -da, because that wasn't our no, relationship at right. all yeah I feel like the again like the world kind of like we have these like labels and these structures that everybody expects you to abide yep. by and we just don't do that and yep being out there in the world and showing people like, Hey, women can do this too. Um, that was, I mean, and that's always, that's going to be everywhere. I think. Yep. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. Um, uh, I'll say probably one more thing on it. The other thing I always do is look at price and, and I look at price because not that I think they should be selling it for less, but I generally always think they should be selling it for more. And I get, upset uh, in the sense of like please 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 do not dismiss your level of skill in trying to get a sale I understand trust me I understand you need to make money <laughs> and put food on the table and all of that stuff but the further down we push the price the more we create the problem that is already out there where people do not I think unintentionally, but do not respect the craft of 
of building something with your hands and how much time it takes for that to be done. And that's right. time away from our families. That's time away from our kids. That's time away from our spouses. Um, and that time needs to be respected. And so, you know, I, that's probably the, the thing that I most get upset about above anything else. Even if like, I don't feel the craftsmanship is like totally up to snuff. I still feel like charge at least what your skill level is worth. Right. Um, don't, don't undersell yourself. Um, right. So that's probably the, the only other thing there, but um, how did you land on, I mean, you talked about, you know, five years ago, you didn't feel like there was as many uh, like women in this space. Um, but what made you passionate to talk about that specifically? I mean, is it because of being in those booths and having people, you know, dismiss you and you feeling like there needs to be a voice here? Like what was it from your own personal experience or that and a combination of not seeing people in the space? Uh, that's a great question. And yeah, I think that is what drove me to do that. Yeah. I haven't really thought about that. Like what, what, why did I do this? Um, so yeah, back in 2015, you know, Instagram was just kind of, you know, I feel like the woodworking community really discovering it and growing and engaging mm -hmm. in it. And I saw makers like uh, Sarah Marriage, uh, Laura Mays, mm -hmm. and seeing these just like ultra talented women makers mm -hmm. out there. And I'm like, everybody in fine woodworking is an old white dude. Everybody yep. in these <laughs> magazines, you know, like yep. the, the culture, the culture of the craft was so white male dominated that I was mm -hmm. like, I'm, this is just going to be my little space and this is what I'm going to do. And, um, just start sharing stories. So I feel like in the time since then, and if you look at what Sarah marriage has accomplished, she now has a workshop of our own, you know, mm -hmm. set up in Baltimore and, and Laura Mays is of course, Laura Mays. Yes. Uh, doing amazing. The amazing work yeah. that she does. <laughs> and so I feel like, you know, we were out there and I knew we were out there and we needed to get these voices like turned up, get it out, get their stories out there, get it shared. Um, that was really what kind of just drove me to do it. And yeah, my experience of struggling to get respect as a maker of in my own, you know, I, it was confusing because, you know, I had my husband, who's so talented and such a great instructor, you know, pushing me, believing in me, you know, guiding me. And it was like, you know, I feel like I'm doing the right thing. We're getting into these shows. We're making like people mm -hmm. are responding but then there's still that, that little bit of the crowd that's just, you know, doesn't even really acknowledge your presence. Um, so it was kind of like, you know, this was my space where I don't care if, <laughs> if people are going to pay me attention or not, you know, like, yeah. this is what we're talking about. Right. You know, it's like, all right, if you don't want to talk about it with me over there, we're going to talk about it right here. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So, so have you had any instances of, I guess pushback on, you know, this project of yours. Has there been any, uh, you know, negative attention? There are some, 
there are some makers out there, some male makers out there who believe like, stop telling me you're a woman maker. I just care that you're a maker, but I feel, I feel pretty strongly that it matters <laughs> that I'm a woman maker. So I don't know if you yeah. have heard that type of feedback or um, anything like that. Um, so first off, like when I first started the project, there's a couple comments here and there, but my supporters were so like into it that I didn't even have to say anything. And it was really rare because it wasn't, it's not a project meant to be, it's not, you know, the man haters club. It's right. women of woodworking. Yeah. We're yeah. here to talk about positive things. And if like, you don't like us having our own space, we'll touch it. Yeah. Um, sorry, I don't know if I can swear on your podcast. That's okay. Um, <laughs> I'll put I'll put a warning in the intro that you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> but um, so, so I found that it's kind of like maybe more commenters or men feel like they'd be like walking into the dragon's lair if they're going to come jump into my comments, which they should, because I will breathe fire. Um, <laughs> We'll, we'll chat sense. we'll chat after this i'll send you some names no yeah give me a list we, um, <laughs> if anything i have been more upset by the people taking advantage of what i'm trying to do and not giving credit where credit is due i don't consider myself a leader in this craft. I am just a storyteller. Mm -hmm. But whenever I go to buy my URL and I see another big name woodworking company has already purchased it, makes me think, you mm -hmm. know, I'm here to grow community. I'm here to do something good, be positive, share stories. I'm obviously getting your attention. If you're buying my URL, why not reach out to me and mm -hmm. find a way to engage my community? and work with us and build something rather than just take. Yeah. Um, I also, I get really frustrated by people that just send me messages and are like, Hey, can you send me a list of women woodworkers in this country? No, you need to do the work. Right. You need to do the work. If you are making these big social media posts and committing yourself to diversity, committing to featuring more women, um, more makers of color, more marginalized communities, then do the work. Don't go to them and ask them to do the work for you. Yep. I'm happy to give names. I'm happy to connect the community. Like I view the project as like a community bulletin board for, mm -hmm. for women in the craft. And I have no problem with people reaching out and saying, Hey, I'm looking for, this and this, you know, this person in this area, like, I, I don't mind. It's more so whenever people come to me and are expecting me to do all that, that labor for yeah. them when no, they're not no, doing I the work it. themselves. I get it. Um, yeah. And, you know, I've, I've pitched women of woodworking to several different publications. I'm just going to let it all out. And <laughs> Go no, you know, nobody's <laughs> yeah. taken me up on it. Yeah. You know, people are buying my URL and doing all that, but nobody's willing to pay me for my content. And they're, they're willing to come to me and ask me to, to give them names and to do the work for them, but they're not willing to pay me content. And it's just a perfect example of how women and, and other, you know, marginalized communities are treated in industries all around the world. And right. we're not immune to that. 
Um, I think those conversations need to start happening. And, mm -hmm. you know, uh, I know the woodworking community is small, but if, I, I feel like if there's an opportunity for us to be better, we need to take it. Absolutely. That's just how I feel Absolutely. about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you're uh, wondering. No, 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 no. You're it's it's good. It's good. <laughs> I feel like we could have dual rants about a lot of similar things here. Um, a new segment. Here's what we're ranting yeah. about. This <laughs> um but I was, you know, um I was thinking, you know, you brought up uh Beaver Builds a Bed that you wrote. Um I, I do have to ask, is, is Beaver a girl beaver? I think little Beaver ended up being a boy beaver because, and really looking back, I wish I would have made little Beaver agender. Oh, there um, you go. <laughs> so, because why, why, why gender, attach yeah. gender to it, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but that's, you know, hindsight, of course. Um, also, I really modeled the book I was pregnant with my son at the time and the mm. book was written for him. Yeah. So, um, I was probably writing him more as my son than, yeah. than anything else. So I, but, I totally um, under, totally understand that, you know, yeah. Um, in, yeah. in the mom brain world, I totally understand that. <laughs> um, uh, well, cause so did you self publish that? I did. Um, so what I did, I had a Kickstarter campaign. I said, uh, Hey, here's, here's what I want to do. Here's the book. Help me do it. And, um, uh, surpassed my goal. I got with, um, Kristen Selecki. She was in Charleston at the time. I'm not sure if she's still there, but, um, fabulous illustrator and designer. And she just believed in me from day one. She's like, all right, let's do this. And, um, so we mocked up some images, put that on the Kickstarter. And then once that was backed, um, I was like fully pregnant with my son going and working my full-time PR job, then coming home and editing the book until like 11 o'clock at midnight. Um, but it was such a special time for me. Like I got my proof copy the day I brought my son home from the hospital and mm, that was like amazing. such a culmination, like mm -hmm. such, it was amazing. So, um, but it was a great experience and it's taught me a lot. And actually since then, um, I've self-published I was an editor on another self-publishing project actually with a, a therapist and um that character she she was female so um but now so I'm working with other other authors and other people um just helping them navigate as kind of like a consultant or editor um on that so Little Beaver is still available it's it's on Amazon and I have it my website is is I don't think I have it directly on my website yet but um that was a really good learning experience. It was kind of scary. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, it just like was so personal to me and there's different images in the book. Like that was our original shop. You know, the shop in the woods was modeled after us. There's a lot mm -hmm. of things that are just really tied into there. And that was always like a long-term goal of mine was to publish a children's book. So um, I'm, I'm really proud of that. And um, I came up with the idea of, really how was I going to explain to my son what mom and dad did yeah you know, um we didn't at the time go into an office every day we didn't you know wear a suit and tie yep. like we wanted them to see from early on that there were other options out there mm -hmm. and um yeah so I mean 
you know, I guess in my mind when you talked about the the book to start with, and and Laura Mays and and Deidre are working on a book together about women in woodworking. Um, also, and I think April is when they were going to have the the draft done, but um, they're going the they pitched to a lot of different publishing houses and they, I mean, they got a full on publisher partially because Deidre is um, a college professor and she wants to use the book as part of, you know, her, her college curriculum. So we had talked about the whole like self publishing versus, you know, uh, but I bring this up because there's more and more things coming up about either women books about women in trade or, you know, women in, in woodworking and that type of thing. And I see you could have a, a booming business as a publishing house <laughs> in, that, <laughs> in that regards, because it is so hard to your point, uh, you talking about just pitching your URL is hard too. like, if you don't want to go the self publishing route, because I mean, there it's, there's a lot to that, right? As you can attest to. Um, and so if you would rather have that assistance from somebody else doing the publishing for you type thing, it's hard to pitch it. it it's still one of those things that, um, you know, isn't, isn't bought onto quite as easily. I mean, I think, I think Laura said something about 30 something, 30 or 35, uh, you know, things she sent out, packets she sent out trying to get people to someone to bite on the book um, before they got one. So that's a lot. That's a lot of no's. And and maybe that's a typical process for any author writing anything. I don't know. Um, but I, I think you're right. I know you're right. There are so many stories out there that need to be told uh, that are amazing stories. And um, I think the world would just be a better place to have those stories in them. Um, yeah, I, I, and that's women of woodworking. That's why I, another reason why I started it. I thought how many women are out there in their garages, you know, whittling away, working away, like thinking, you know, they have no one to connect to, no one to establish community with no other women that, can kind of speak to their experience and share information and, um, and just, you know, I find that sometimes the people that make the best work are the ones that are too busy to talk about it. You know, mm -hmm. you have to go find them, which is just yep. remarkable. Um, so that was part of this too, um, was finding that and on, you know, back on the self publishing thing, it's just giving us so much more access and ownership of our work as well. Um, mm -hmm. You know, yes, there's a lot of extra work that goes into that and you have, you know, you're got to be your own marketing and sales team and, and all of that. Um, but that being said, like you just have so much more ownership and say in your production. And I think, you know, depending on what your goal is, you know, if you're wanting to, to become an author, become a writer and really establish that, um, you know, getting books published through other publishers and, and things like that's great. I see self-publishing as a good opportunity for people like me that do many different things, but would like to, to share a, a yeah. little bit of expertise or a book or something um, about something I've collected. So I, 
I think I only reached out to like maybe one or two publishing houses for the children's book. I think I decided pretty early on. I was actually told by the first one I reached out to to self-publish this book. Um, so hearing that from a source that I really respected and trusted was, mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna listen to that. Um, so, um, that was how I ended up doing self-publishing. Again, we have to chat later. Um, <laughs> <laughs> awesome. <laughs> um, so I do want to, uh, before our time is totally up, kind of circle back around, um, to, the the mom factor of doing all this because you're doing all of this great stuff and like you said especially right now you've got two young kiddos still at home uh you know with the pandemic going on but what do you what do you hope that they learn from watching both you and your husband be I mean not just be makers and making things with your own two hands but you're also I mean, you're running your own businesses, you're running your own life. So what do you hope they learn from that? I hope that they learn the independence that really our parents have taught us. Um, My husband comes from a family of farmers, really hard workers, self-starters, entrepreneurs. Um, Having that drive and determination to do the best you can do and no matter what they decide to do, I hope that's something they, they pick up from, from us. Um, I also hope that they, again, and like the, the book and, and things are tying into this is just having an acceptance and understanding of how people live differently, how we create, how important that is. Um, and just having them feel comfortable enough to be themselves. I feel like, I'm very lucky that despite the world trying to tell you how to be and how to act all the time, I've had enough people that saw me and believed in me and encouraged me to keep being myself. And if I can give that to my kids and Hey, like that's, I just want them to feel comfortable and happy Mm -hmm. with doing what they do and being who they are. Awesome. Well, we are at the end of our time, so I want to give you a chance. To, I know, give you a chance to <laughs> to shout out to everybody where they can find you and follow along with you on all of the interwebs. Yes, so I'm very active on Instagram and Twitter, and my handle is the same on both of those. It's at k t k o z a r. My Women of Woodworking project, uh, it's at Women of Woodworking on Instagram, and then the publication is actually on Medium. So if you go to medium.com and search Women of Woodworking, that will come up. Um, my website is kttompson.com. That's a good landing page to kind of find all that information in one spot. And, and yeah, I'm, I'm on the internet somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll include links to all of that in the show notes so people... Uh, can find all of your great work and follow along with you and um, yeah if you're not aware I thoroughly enjoy when I get to feature another Katie on the podcast you know because we rule the world Um, (laughs) um, so thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me uh, today I really enjoyed it yes me too thank you for having me yeah all right we will catch up at some other point. All right.
All right. Again, that was Katie of the Women of Woodworking. You can catch her live where she's interviewing and um, interacting with other women of the craft every Wednesday evening at 7.30 Eastern Standard Time. So I hope you go check that out over on Instagram. And as always, I will include the links on how you can follow along with Katie in the show notes. All right. And the best way to find those show notes is to go to my uh, woodworking page, freemanfurnishings.com. Click on podcast and you will find the show notes for this episode and all the previous episodes as well. All right. Now, at the start of the episode, you heard me give a big shout out and thank you to the patrons over on Patreon. Um, That is one of the ways that this podcast is allowed to continue is through patron support over there. So if you're really enjoying this podcast, please consider becoming a patron. There are now four tier levels, one, three, and five dollar tier levels uh, that have you as part of the tribe and you get different merchandise items at each of those levels. And now there is a new $30 tier level and that will make you a full-on sponsor of the podcast so you'll get your own little ad spot in the episode so if you want to check that out you can head on to patreon.com and patreon is p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash maker mom podcast all right and uh, another way simple way you can help support the podcast is just make sure that whatever platform you are listening to the podcast on you hit that subscribe button And if you can, head on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review so others can find the podcast as well. And lastly, if you just want to get some merch, you can go to freemanfurnishings.com forward slash shop. And there is the Maker Mom tee available with the Mom Squad listed on the back. So those are all the options you have to continue to support the podcast, especially now with two episodes a week. It would be awesome um, if we can reach the threshold over on Patreon so that perhaps I can bring on a little bit of editing help uh, to help get these out uh, on time every week would be fabulous. All right, so it's Friday. As always, I hope you are safe and well and healthy And I hope you get to spend time with your family this weekend and make something this weekend. All right. Until next week, I will see you later. Thank you for listening to the Maker Mom podcast. You can connect with the Maker Mom community and the Facebook group page Maker Moms. And remember, if you enjoyed listening to this episode, please subscribe, leave an awesome review, and share this out with other Maker Moms you know. (music) 